Shall we stand together as we read together the call to worship found in your bulletins? You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God members of every tribe and language and people and nation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Let us pray. Lord God, what a privilege it is to gather here in your name. You truly are worthy to receive all glory, honor, Praise and power. And Lord, it is our desire that we do that today as we gather to worship you. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Take a moment and share a word of peace or a greeting with others who are here in worship today before you're seated. First of all, thank you to everyone who brought food today. This is awesome. Uh, I know I appreciate what the, the people at the campus store and uh, also from the basketball games the weekend, more food. And we are very grateful for the contributions. Thank you so much. We are continually in need of um, giving out food. There's a lot of, lot of people coming and we want to help everyone we can. So we appreciate your contributions. Uh, thank you very much. If you didn't bring things today and you still want to contribute, you can always do that. Just drop it off at the church office or if you know where the food pantry is in front of the doors there and we'll make sure it gets uh, put away into the right place. There are a few things I want to highlight uh, in your bulletin. Uh, this is the, the last day of our three-week prayer vigil and uh, we're coming down to the end and it's been wonderful to see what God has done and, and the hours that uh, people have come to pray and, and uh, hear the stories already that God has, has uh, accomplished in us. And uh, we conclude at 6 o'clock today. I think there is one hour left today at noon. Uh, so if you would like that hour, I don't know, it could get taken while we're in church today, but uh, this morning. But uh, there's just one hour left today. But uh, we're going to conclude at 6 o'clock. And at 6, we're going to gather in the uh, community room for celebration. Uh, we've been talking about family and family tree and, and things this uh, fall. And so we're going to get together and sit at tables sort of like family. We're going to have some ice cream. And uh, we're also going to have a chance to share with each other what God's been doing. We're going to sing together. And, um, and then we're going to, as we've done in the past, uh, have an event to commemorate this prayer gathering that uh, I think you'll want to participate in and connect some things with us here. So we hope you'll join us tonight, 6 to 7, in the community room for this, uh, this gathering. Uh, the hol- Thanksgiving, of course, is Thursday, so we have no Wednesday evening activities this week. Uh, next Sunday, we gather for worship at 8.29.40 and 11. And there are prayer concerns in the bulletin connected to us here as well as around the world. Thanks for which we continue to pray. There are a couple of inserts in your bulletin. One's about um, PRISM at the college. And please take note of that if you haven't seen that already. And uh, then also there is a faith promise commitment card. It's something we've been doing the last couple of years. Uh, helping to support our missions outreach through Faith Promise. And this is an opportunity for you to give beyond what is easy for you, to trust God for something bigger, something uh, new, something different. And so I want to encourage you to pray about this. We'll be collecting these on the 2nd of uh, December in two weeks. And so we, uh, we want to make you, uh, make you aware of the need and encourage you to be praying about what God may want you to give in the uh, year ahead.
The scripture reading comes from the Old Testament, Psalm 133. If you'd like to follow in your pew Bibles, page 615. Again, Psalm 133. And I'll be reading from the New International Version. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offering, let us stand together and sing together the Gloria Patri. faithful and just and sovereign and we worship you and and lord even now as we give back to you a portion as you have blessed us in our lives we worship you and cheerfully give as you have so bountifully blessed us we thank you god for the many blessings you give us and as we collect these lord we pray that you'll grant wisdom to this church body that you will give guidance and direction that these monies these gifts these tithes and offerings will be used to your glory and to your honor amen you may be seated
We have the opportunity to pray together, and it's been our practice for a while. If you'd like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. And uh, we will begin our time of prayer by praying together the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. So please come and kneel at the altar if you'd like to use this as your place of prayer. Let's pray together. O God, source of all that makes life possible, giver of all that makes life good, we gather to give you our thanks, even as we confess that we have often failed to live our thankfulness. What we have, we take for granted, and we grumble about what we lack. We have squandered your bounty with little thought of those who will come after us. We are more troubled by the few who have more than by the many who have less. Forgive us, O God. In this hour of worship, accept our thanksgiving and teach us to make gratitude and sharing our way of life. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, amen. Father, we are grateful to you for your many blessings. We think especially of your blessings over these past three weeks of our prayer vigil. We thank you that you have kept your promise to be with us and to hear us, to answer us in your infinite love and grace. Help us to trust you more and more in the days and weeks ahead. And let Let the sign of our trust be evident in our gratitude. In our gratitude for blessings that overwhelm us. And blessings that that gently tug at our uncanny ability to make things, take things in our daily lives for granted. Father, we ask your, your care upon our lives for those who are struggling with illness and pain, we ask your healing. For all who are grieving, we pray your comfort. For relationships that are cracked and fractured, we ask your healing grace. For the future, we pray for wisdom. And in all things, we ask that you would help us to trust you. We pray your gentle care for the least of your children in our fallen world. For those who suffer innocently because of cruelty. For people caught in the crossfire of war and conflict. For people who are hungry and homeless. Heal, restore, feed, clothe all who are in need. And Father, we ask that you would burden us and your people everywhere to feel such compassion that we beg you to let us be involved in helping people who are in need. Father, 
you have revealed yourself in Christ and have revealed your glory among all the nations. We pray that you will preserve the works of your mercy, that your church throughout the world may persevere with steadfast faith as we confess your name. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The scriptures this morning are taken from Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9. Through 17. I'll be reading this in the Merli version. My wife and I worked for 20 years in the Sudan doing the translation work, resulting in this New Testament. There are now over 65 churches, but in recent years they've suffered much persecution with burning of churches and people being killed. But in the end time, when we all stand before the throne, there'll be people from every land, every nation, every tongue, and I believe there'll be many Merli there praising God in their own language, the language you're going to hear right now. Mavurte niche kara kebere, makachin kale chimelorot etchiakom etchianim kekep. O nichigi avuburi odok, ben modene dok, ben lochowe dok. Maavu el nigingao lecherolalve to benyon. Abochek nigidok lumenechi vor wuntik. Manyak adene oto chiken wen ketilen. Magaren nigi orot adine, aku elian joe onai ave lechere or alevetu kebinona. Maje tonyawa o jo dok el nigi nante, alea lecher jalevetu noko, kielat wen etom kitin wech e, kikelek wen wech e. Makani nigi dok kodong tiloch adingding on jok. Anone, didi then jok onanen o anyak natinet, kititinon. Kigenyeth, Kitalnin, Kidingdingon, Kidoyeth, Ben Aladet Noko Benen, Nonunen. Ijinan ni eti churoi alate gichia nekane. Aga iniko olchi aborchek lumanichivor noko. Aga iniko niti avuni nigio. Makabedeke nana nono kanene. Mani, alankaga, paraga iniko nina. Manekane. Nichigi olwa doi tuen unong pidiang dete balgon agidang enen. Otonche den nigi biete onyonu kiditi lumene uges vore per. Giden chi el ni nigi ngati lercher chijo onen. Kakalinting odek nigi nono tup wadino kibarinok chieze onen. Jok den chi ave lecheres chi alevetu noko nen o kakodoti nogo. 
Alang den bodo adak nogo magareti, karbong alukor, makong buk bodo kor abor abach nogo, karbong en ngor abor iban nogo. Echinyon chi ave lecher chi aladetu numa noko owa nini nogo, mangana koe nini nogo valachache o mam oregeto. Ma ea tingeri joe nogo tilalo ugech. May the Lord bless his word. There are a lot of things about the book of Revelation that we have a hard time comprehending. You know, we <laughs> you, you, you read about the, the plagues and the, sign, the seals and the, 
the horses and the horsemen and, you know, and all these things. And you read this and you wonder, is it literal? Is it figurative? Is it, you know, is it uh, something that, that we are to, you know, to interpret for our time or something for other times? And we have all these questions and all kinds of theological systems have been based on people's interpretation of things that honestly are not all that clear. But there are some things in the book of Revelation that are crystal clear. And one of them is that when you get to the end, when we get to the end of the age, when we get to the time where the dust settles and, and the kingdom is, is ushered in, we will see in a very clear way that Jesus wins, that Jesus has won, that he's the Lord, he's the king, and he really has no rival. He has won. And that will be, now as we live in this world of, of, that's complicated and painful and a struggle, and, and we sometimes question that truth. But the revelation tells us that when that day comes, there'll be no more questions. It will be crystal clear, Jesus is Lord and everyone will bow before him. But there is also a part of Revelation that is clear to us in a way that relates to our ideas that we have been talking about this past 10 weeks about a family tree. And as we are starting with Adam and Eve and working our way through some of the people who are part of our spiritual history, people who look an awful lot like us and deal with stuff that we deal with and think the way that we think, some of these people that we adore and some of them we wish we could ignore... All of these people are a part of our spiritual family tree. And when we get to the book of Revelation, we discover, we discover that the image that John gives us of Revelation is of a demographic that is more diverse than any of us probably imagine. In chapter 5, verse 9, he talks about Heaven being populated by persons of every tribe, nation, language, and people group. He repeats that in chapter 7, verse 9. Again, every tribe, every language, every people group, every, every nation. All of them will be represented in that heavenly kingdom. When Jesus ushers in his kingdom, there will be great diversity. I like what Randy Alcorn says in his book, Heaven. He says that the, the new Jerusalem that will be established on that day is going to look an awful lot like Jerusalem today. Very diverse, kind of a melting pot of peoples. The difference is in that day, we'll all get along and we'll all be unified. But we'll still be different. Well, there still will be diversity. I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that when John looks at heaven and he, and he sees the people there, he doesn't say they're all the same. They all look the same. But he can easily identify people of every tribe and nation and language and people group. And it's not just how people look, it's how they sound. I mean, you get the feeling we're talking different languages. Now, I was always under the assumption that we'd all speak the same language in heaven. It was probably English. <laughs> but you know, if it's one language, it's probably Hebrew, if it was anything. 
But, but you know, it, when we get there, I think, you know, it's, we're going to have these, he identifies languages. And, and maybe when we get there, we'll need to learn other languages. But we'll have the ability to do that quickly. And more than that, we'll have the desire to do that quickly. We'll want to because we understand that when you, when you grasp someone's language, you, learn, you grasp something about them. Because languages help us identify who people are. And so much of identity is wrapped up in the language that we speak. And we'll want to learn every language because we care about people and we love people. And we want to know them. I think heaven will be far more diverse than any of us have imagined. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that's wonderful, that's great, but... There's a lot more important things to think about than that. I don't think so. Because Jesus says, when we pray, in the prayer he teaches us to pray, he says that we are to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that prayer is saying, Lord, whatever your kingdom is like in heaven, we want it to be that way on earth. And if the kingdom in heaven is diverse then we want the kingdom on earth to, to reveal and express that same diversity. We want it to be all of us together. But more than diversity, it's not just that. It's, it's even deeper than that. Because in, in chapter 5, verse 10, after John says, he hears the, the words about every tribe and language and people and nation, he says, and God has made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. It's not just that the heavenly kingdom will, will be, have diversity. It's that we will all be royal priests in that day. And we have all been purchased by God to serve him. All of us. All of us. And we find in this picture an equality of the kingdom that often escapes us. Everyone who is there worshiping the lamb is a part of the kingdom and and the priesthood. And he doesn't say, well, there were some people there who were kingdom and priests, and then there was everybody else. All the nations, all the tribes, all the peoples, all the languages, all of us, kingdom and priests to serve our God. There is that sense of equality that we are all the same, have the same place in the kingdom. No one higher, no one lower. No one more important, no one less important. We are all equally valued in the kingdom. And that speaks volumes about how we live now and how we view each other now, how we view the world now. Because it means that that we are equals in the kingdom. Whatever our race, whatever our, our, our nationality, whatever people group we may be from, whatever our personality type, whatever our socioeconomic place in the world, whatever our gender. You know, it's interesting he doesn't say, and I saw men of every tribe, or I saw women of every tribe, I saw persons. 
And there's something in that description, implicit in that description, that reminds us that we are all equal in the kingdom. And that the gifts we have and the ability to use those gifts is, is, is equal across the board. Whatever gender we may be, whatever place in society we may have, we are all an equal part of the kingdom. And if that's what the picture looks like in heaven, then we ought to be working toward that picture now. And we ought to be thinking that way now. It ought to bear on how we live now. I think we struggle with that. I think as human beings, we struggle with that because we tend to be pretty self-centered. I think people in the West particularly struggle with that. And maybe even a more narrow focus, people in North America, and if I can really get personal, probably people in the United States of America struggle with that more than anywhere else. I mean, what do we say that, you know, we talk about our president as the leader of the free world. We talk about, um, we think of America as, as the pinnacle of the world and God has blessed us and there are great things that are happening. But we often have this mindset that whatever we have thought, whatever we have developed, however, however we see things is the right way. And anything that's different is not just different, but the wrong way. And if everybody just get on board with us and how we do things, everything will be fine. But maybe at some point in time, we need to change our perspective and, and, and not just think about how we can influence the world, but how the world can influence us. Not just what, we, what, what the world can learn from us, but what we can learn from the world, from other people. And that's hard for us because we have come to subconsciously think that we have all the answers and we have the right way to see things. And so we're the center of what takes place. And we judge everybody else based on what we think is right or wrong or good or bad. And, and if they match up with us, then that's great. If they don't, then we need to fix them. Because they're not quite seeing it. You know, if, the, if the first sin in the Garden of Eden was pride and arrogance, then the solution to that is humility. And I think God is calling us as, as Christians who are part of the world to be humble. And I think it's something that we as, as North Americans and as, as Americans particularly need to learn that lesson. And need to humble ourselves before the rest of the world. And it's hard for us. We, it's been so ingrained into us that it's hard for us to see how we do that. Earlier this fall, I was up at an activities fair, you know, event the college has out on the quad. All the clubs and organizations have tables and displays and very gracious to, to let us have a couple of tables. And we use that time to do a lot of recruiting. I don't, since I don't recruit necessarily for ministries like the other pastors do, I like to spend those couple of hours just kind of roaming around. And, and I like uh, trying to recruit for them, but I, I like just going down to all the tables and talking to people. Some I know, some I don't, meet people. And, and, and it's just enjoyable for me to make, have those interactions with a lot of students. And, and this year I found myself uh, stopping and having a conversation with the people who were at the Black Heritage Club. And, and we were talking about the things that they were doing and, and different things going on. And, and uh, they invited me to come to the group, and, which I've done a couple of times. And, 
And in the course of that conversation, we were talking about what we were doing as a church and, and this, this whole idea of the family tree and, and the, the bigger part of the kingdom. And, and one of them said, you should come and talk to us about that. And I said, well, and the Lord's been working on me about this, about my mindset. And I said, well, I'd be glad to do that. But I'd really want to come to your group because I want to learn about you. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know how, what your views of, of life and the world and the kingdom are. Because I need to learn. And, and I need to grow. And I need to, I need to have a bigger perspective than just me. And God is continually helping me to see that. And, but it's hard. You know, Francis Bacon, the 17th century philosopher, talked about the idols that we struggle with. And one of them he talks about is the idol of the cave. Where, you know, we sit in the back of the cave and we look at the world through the entrance of the cave. And everything about the world that we think is through that, through that entrance. Just that little opening in the entrance to our cave. And we believe that's all there is to the world. And that's the only way to see the world. That's the only way to understand the world is through that entrance of the cave. We don't even realize how skewed that is. And how, how we, we, we are so self-focused and ethnocentric. Someone was telling me not too long ago that they, the first uh, French class they took and the unnamed professor of French at the college said to them... Uh, let me, just, let me just set this out for you right away. French is not a translation of English. There's something to that, right? There's something in our minds that wants to believe, well, wait a second. You know, we, we are so focused on ourselves and how we think and what we do that we don't even realize what we're doing sometimes. That's why in the prayer room, we, we put some prayers up of different cultures and, and different periods in church history to stretch us because we need to be stretched. I was thinking about that the other day, sitting in the prayer room and looking at the map of the world on the wall. And, and that map looks a lot like this map that uh, is coming up on the screen here. And it reminded me of the maps that we had when I was a child. They look just a little bit different. They look like the second map that comes up. And you see the difference. Right? In the first map, Europe's in the middle and it divides really nicely along the, in the ocean. The second map, the United States is in the middle. And the only way you can do that is to cut Russia in half. You know, and, and, and honestly, as a child, I, didn't even, I thought, well, of course we put the United States in the middle. And... You know, it's just a subtle kind of mindset that, about how we see the world and how we view things. I've come to, to understand that our, what we think of as normal is just based on our experience. You know, whatever our experience is, that's what we think is normal. And I, I, I talk about this with couples in premarital counseling. You know, because there are yeah, two couples who are coming to this relationship with probably two... Two thoughts about what's normal. And that makes some interesting discussions. Talk about Christmas. What do you do about you know, Christmas gifts? Some people open their Christmas gifts Christmas Eve, some Christmas morning, some Christmas night, some on Epiphany. And how you open the gifts. In some families, everybody's in the, in the room there. You hand one person a gift. They open it. 
Everybody watches. If it's closed, they may try them on. If it's some kind of gadget, they might put it together. And it may take 10 minutes for that person to open that gift. And when they're done, they put it down. You move to the next person, give them a gift. Same thing happens. And then you have homes where everyone's in the room and whatever their gifts are, their pile of gifts is sitting in front of them. And you say, go, and paper's flying everywhere all at one time, right? (laughs) And what I find is that whatever you've done, that's normal. And then you look at each other and say, why do you do that? That's crazy. What do you mean that's crazy? This is normal. No, I'm normal. And and we don't even realize that what we view as normative is simply based on our perception. And, And we do that toward the world all the time. We are thinking what we do is right. If you just do what we do, then you've got it. Maybe how we, I think about this, how we distribute our wealth to to missions. And, you know, a lot of times as we, we are willing to give money to missions and, and, and talking in the larger sense, not just even our church, but in the larger sense of, of America toward the rest of the world. And, and we often couch that in when people understand how to use it, then we'll give them some. And then when they figure that out, we'll give them a little more. And we do that incrementally as people learn and grow. What if we just said, okay, this is going to be the full amount that we would end up giving and we just give it to them. All at one time. And just say, we trust you. We trust the Holy Spirit. You use it as you think is best. And I know in the back of our minds, we're going, oh, wait a second. What if they don't use it right? What if they waste it? And we say that as if we never waste money. It's it's just a means of acknowledging that God is at work in places of the world in ways that maybe we don't even understand. And, and, and we forget there's so much that the rest of the world can teach us that we need to learn. You know, in, in our culture, in, in the church in America, we tend to value almost above everything else our independence. In most of the world, what's valued is community. In a lot of the world, sharing what you have is a higher good than winning. We tend to like winning. And maybe there's some things that, that we need to learn from other people because they've figured out some stuff that we haven't. And the question is, are we willing to be humble enough to accept that and to let God use other people to change us, and to work in us? It's our view of the kingdom no matter what it is, is too small. The kingdom is so much bigger than any of us can think. Whatever our view is, whatever our view is, it is too small because the kingdom of God is always going to be bigger and larger and wider and higher and deeper and greater than anything we can imagine because it's God. And our view of the kingdom is always so small and God wants to make it so much bigger. I love the way the TNIV translates John 14 too. Says, My father's house has plenty of room. Has plenty of room. Far more room than we often are willing to acknowledge. Because we're always putting hurdles up for people. We put up more hurdles than God does. Because we want people to do things the way we do them and see things the way we see them. 
And think about things the way we think about them. And it doesn't mean that we're wrong. But we have to acknowledge that maybe what's different might be good. And we could learn something from that. And why do we do that? Is it arrogance? Is it it control? Is it power? And I would answer yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) I think it's all those things and maybe more. It's human nature to want to control. But God is continually wanting to take us out of our human nature, to do what is different, to to, to live like Christ, to act like Christ, to be the church that looks like Christ. That's why I love this table. When we come to this table, we come together on a level playing field. All of us equal. And it does, when we come to this table, we're not throwing off our diversity to say, well, we're all going to be the same. Not at all. We come with all of our diversity, whatever that may be. We just, at this table, we're just unified in Christ. It's the mosaic of the kingdom that we're looking for. Not that we're all clones of one another, but that we bring all of our unique pieces and into this beautiful mosaic that is the kingdom. In the prayer room, we, we had this tree, and if you've been in there, you saw it. And, and when we started, it was, just a, it was just a brown tree. But as everyone has come to pray, they've taken a leaf, wrote, written their name on it, put it on the tree, and now it looks like this. All different kind, colors and kinds of leaves and different names on the leaves, but all of us together make up this beautiful tree that is our part of the kingdom. Now, there are some scholars who believe that, that we can never truly reveal the image of God in this world as a single person or even as a group of people, but only as the corporate worldwide body of Christ. Only when we are all in this thing together can we truly be the kingdom. And that's what I love about what the psalmist says in the 133rd Psalm, verse 1, he says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. God is joyful and excited and, and pleased when we live in unity. That's the image of the kingdom that John gives us. And if that's the image that the kingdom is going to be, Wouldn't it make sense that our goal now is to do everything in our power to start making the kingdom look like that now? Father, we thank you for your grace upon us. We thank you for your kingdom that is so much bigger than us. And we pray that you will help us to see that and to embrace that truth with great joy. Father, as we come to this table, we are reminded that it's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. And we pray that that you will pour out your blessing on the bread and the cup, that as we receive them, they will be not just food for our souls, but a connecting point for us 
with our brothers and sisters here and around the world. Because for all of us, it is about Christ. We remember, Father, that night when Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room. He took bread and he gave thanks to you and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, take, eat. But this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on that same night he took the cup. And again he gave thanks to you. And he gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins. And the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Father, we give you thanks for the grace of Christ that has redeemed us and has brought us into your family. Let our lives individually and corporately reflect the corporate worldwide family that is yours through Christ. Amen. We're going to receive communion this morning by the mode of intinction. You're released by Rose to come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup and eat it. You can return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar's always open if you'd like to pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you simply prefer, we do have a tray of bread and cup. We'll be happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. I like to mention, especially today, that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Maybe it's the first time you've worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire in your heart to be connected to our brothers and sisters in the church, then you are wholeheartedly invited to come and to receive these gifts from our gracious and loving Heavenly Father. As we take communion this morning, we're going to sing together. We're going to sing a bit of a variety of music just to remind us how big and wide is the kingdom of God.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.